Welcome to Love Requited Etc., a podcast of love and life stories. Stories about unconventional, untethered, and sometimes unreturned love. This podcast is for mature audiences only, as we can sometimes be sexually explicit. I am Reverend Liliana Barzola, a spiritual and intuitive healer and creator of Lotus Lantern Healing Arts. Episode 1, Emotionally Incognito. Have you ever wanted to ask someone why they broke your heart? In this episode, I talk with someone I dated 20 years ago who did just that. Our talk gets deep as we discuss our breakup, race, ethnicity, and health. You are so kind. You are willing to chat with me about love and relationships. I'm doing a series. It's kind of unrequited love. It's unconventional love. It's different love stories. My number one business is love. So people call me because, you know, they're heartbroken. They've got heartache. And they Mm -hmm. um, personalize their heartbreak. You know, who the fuck wouldn't, right? It's really painful. Sometimes there's circumstances Uh as to why people are not together that are beyond was I not good enough for this person? Did I do something wrong? And so I want to try to give more perspectives and visions about love and not just the story that you and I have, but even anything you want to talk about from your past that comes up. And I was even hoping that you would talk about if you're comfortable, like your diagnosis and your process with discovering your body health stuff. Um, Cool. Because it would bring awareness. Interestingly, yeah, interestingly, I see a relationship between those things for sure. Well, that's a great service, a great idea. It's a niche Mm -hmm. uh, to speak in vulgar terms. That's not something that media really offers. It doesn't really conform to life experience and it's more kind of to the illusion of, uh, of experience. So that's great that you're doing this show. I'm happy to participate. I was really nervous about it, but I realized that you would have a plan I could just follow your lead. So, yeah, let me do that. I do. I have a plan. You know, people come together and there's this very unique alchemy that just those two people have that is super special. And it's Mm -hmm. not to be discounted. It's magic. But then there's so many pieces that have to happen in order for that love to sustain. And so we look at things as we failed or we won the battle. I haven't met Mm -hmm. anyone who's like won the battle in love. (laughs) And is there someone who's really figured it out? I haven't. Maybe I'll talk to someone on this series who has. So the reason that this happened, like this little reach out, is that there was this cheesy game on Facebook that was about, you know, here's all the concerts I've gone to see. Which one is the ridiculous one that I didn't actually see? And I like read your concert list and I was like, oh, my God, we like did a couple of those together. And yeah. that was also on my mind when I was like creating the list. I realized that uh, that I'd been to a couple of those with you. So I was thinking about you. So that's cool. Yeah. And then I messaged you and said, hey, <laughs> you broke my heart, but I forgive you. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that was sad. Like basically I asked if you wanted to talk because I felt like it was a little bit glib to say certain things just like um in a public forum and and rather I thought well I should probably just uh talk to you about those things yeah 
Yeah, that was kind. I felt that from you, the kindness. <laughs> you need to well, talk. Yeah, it was also, I've just been like uh, emotionally incognito, just, like just out like... of uh, touch with people. And I realized that, yeah, in some ways, we're always uh, changing in, in relation to the past and processing it differently or having a new life and now it means something else. But I thought like, wow, we never really uh, share reflections and things like that. I realized I'm more in a time in my life where that kind of thing is welcome. I think I'm trying to both learn about myself and also change and think about ways that I've been in the past. And I think that it's mostly in love relationships that we can end up getting a glimpse of our own, you know, true positive and negative. Couldn't say it better. I love that. It's super insightful. Yeah, to me back then, I admired you so much because, and I still do, you were so scholarly, you were so smart. You were super academic, and I was intimidated by that because of my dyslexia. And mm -hmm. you would, you were super international. You had like lived in China and like Brazil, and like you were, you just knew a lot about different cultures. And your spirituality was very profound for me. Like I, I don't know if you're, are you still a Baha'i? Yeah, I am. And I don't know a lot about the religion, just the little bit that you taught me, but I love the songs and the poems. I got to go a couple times to different events and, and see just how cool. like loving it was so like welcoming to all people. That's awesome. Yeah, I think we had, we were attracted to similar things in each other, which is not the way all uh, attraction goes. Sometimes it's very different things in people that uh, bring them together. Yeah, I thought like of you as being very socially aware and concerned and emotionally caring about like things like justice and just spiritual spirituality. I still don't know many people who have organized their life around those themes. Yeah, thank you. Another thing that I don't know you like woke up in me that you should know is like I felt so like isolated and alone it's I'm like getting teary talking about it just because I had gone from like a very like multicultural experience living in the Bay Area in Oakland in California and being a Latina woman with this very dark skin dark-eyed father and very like white looking mother and then we moved to like a very 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 white and prejudiced area in Oregon. And there were things that were really hard for me, like, you know, going to the coast, I always felt super uncomfortable. Like the way I remember one time when I was little, this woman said to me, oh, your mom was in here looking for you. And I was with my mother who looks very mm. white and I have a little bit of darker skin, darker hair. I was like, well, this is my mom. And she was like, no, 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 that's not your mom. <laughs> and I just remember thinking, I'm 12. I know who my mom is. And that's then this crazy. like East Indian woman came in like her mind, like I was this woman's daughter because I just looked more like her. And mm. I remember like feeling so alone in that, confused. And, and because of your experiences in your life, I felt so validated. Yes, we live in a very white place. And no, I also don't want to go to the beach. And endure that <laughs> and maybe you could speak <laughs> if you don't mind a little bit to that my life in relation to race and identity is giving me new angles uh, of reflection and new experiences because uh for all those people out there listening to this um 
my father's African American and I grew up with that identity in in the US, but I was born in Iowa where my mother who is white is from. So when I found myself also in um it's a very white area of Oregon, just any area basically, but when I was out there, uh in some ways it wasn't unfamiliar to situations in which I was raised. But um but yeah, I was in my in my teen years. And uh, when I met you in, in my, I guess, early 20s, well, I was how, trying to be more and more awake to the reality of, of racial segregationist feeling, segregationist culture in America. So I was trying to be aware of that. And um, I had a social justice calling, but I also felt really like alone and uh, kind of frail in terms of... Um, being linked to any kind of a, a movement, I, I didn't necessarily feel that uh, I knew where to begin with that. So Oregon was pretty scary uh, for me at times, uh, and uh, I kept to myself a lot. But um, let's can you see. tell them the story about how frequently you got stopped by the cops when you were in Milwaukee, and how a white family had to advocate for you? Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's it's a kind of a whole different topic, like the true stories of like uh, surviving um, racist aggression in America. But today we we see on the news more often because we our culture is more um, attentive to it. We see on the news more often just uh, cases of aggression. But because I was um, very familiar with that uh, on kind of even a daily basis as a child uh, growing up in Iowa. Like just people, um, I remember the first time an adult told me to go back to Africa, nigger, I was uh, about six years old or something. So um, that's part of why, like, it's kind of hard um, coming from a minority position um, with all that goes into kind of just maintaining and surviving within that culture. um, There's a bit of normalizing of it. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, it's not something that I think about a lot. I push it to the back of my mind, but I I remember that I used, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't have, um, often a lot of money to, to spend on my vehicle, but I remember like going to get, uh, license plate lights fixed and things like that. Um, because it was necessary. Yeah, because I'd gotten citations and things, but still get pulled over for the same reason and then kind of uh, debate with the cop about the legitimacy of the citation and uh, and have some friends that I was staying with pick it up. And, and they called into the station and explained that, you know, Damien's legit. I would always find it difficult, like embarrassing to complain about such things, because in the back of my mind, I would always hear another voice say, well, if you don't want to be treated this way, then you know that the solution is to move out mm-hmm. <laughs> of a white area, you know, and like that's not uh, that doesn't reflect a situation of human dignity and rights and fairness and truth. But I mean, at least like the own personal dignity of black people, <laughs> uh, people of color is generally saying something like that to them. Like, yes, we can't, you know, we don't really blame ourselves for all of this, but it's so thick with it that, you know, you can either try to turn a blind eye 
or leave really that those were the two it was the fight or flight <laughs> options that I could see yeah you know? absolutely and you did end up leaving Oregon and it was more com- it was more complicated than that right but you did definitely leave. with that kind of uh, a sense of not fitting there not being able to see myself there you know is yeah. why I would leave yeah Thank you for sharing that. I think it's really important for people to hear. And I'm going to give you just a little tie it back into our relationship is for me, when you explained your experience, although my experience is very different, um, I consider myself a woman of color, mostly because of the experiences that I've had where people have pointed that out to me or asked me when I first moved to Oregon, what was I was the common question I got from people. And it was so confusing to me. I didn't even know how to answer that. Um, But I also felt like I was full on gringa to my Latino culture. Like I don't speak Mm -hmm. Spanish as fluently, you know, I'm, I'm American, you know, I'm gringa. So it wasn't really, able to go into that realm and I also wasn't really able to feel like I was uh-huh. in this world and so when you came along yeah. it made me feel like I could advocate for myself and I got nice. in That's so yeah I got involved with the Latino community um, at the college it was like a group and there were plenty of like gringas slash Latinas in there and I just started yeah. to kind of find my voice in it all and it really was you coming that Midas touch, like touching into my world and saying like, no, this is really happening to you. I think we went to the beach one time or we even talked about it and it, and you had the Uh same feeling I had where I was like, Oh God, like it's so bad at the coast. And I couldn't even articulate why, but you could. And it was like, Oh my gosh, what a relief not have to explain this to you and to not feel like I have to protect myself. I just don't have to go there. (laughs) Yeah. That's so great. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's really great for me that we had that understanding as well. Mm-hmm. I wanted you to, to know that you've helped build up my confidence to advocate for myself. And so, um, yeah, in my my world, you were just this very strong, vibrant, like kick-ass partner who made me feel less crazy and less alone. And helped me put a lot of language to things I was struggling with. And you taught me so much about music, Damien. Like, Stevie. Really? Oh, yeah. Stevie. Me? You had all the music. You have a lot of music that you showed me. So that's cool to know. Yeah, Stevie, Stevie Wonder. Wonder. Yeah, you brought Stevie Wonder into my world, like, big time. Oh, and wow. And also um, all the Brazilian music. Like, I still listen to Caetano Gil. Ooh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I remember that time now. I was actually uh trying in that period to uh, like really like claim the US and set up my own life. Um but uh because I wasn't in Oregon, my, my parents didn't live in Oregon and have any family there at the time. Mm-hmm. So I was trying because my parents are musicians and my dad especially as a major listener, I was trying to kind of replicate family values and like the distinct and eclectic uh, family traditions or, or whatever. I was trying to make sure like there was some way that I could embody those things and, and feel rooted there. That's alone. And so like it really depended upon 
uh, the sharing of it um, in order to to really experience it that way. So that's a, that was a gift to me to be able to share that with you. Yeah, we had a lot of good times. It was an interesting time. Let's talk about, do you remember how we met each other the first time? You know, I guess we were in a sociology class for a couple of semesters or like a whole year. Yeah. Or something like that. Was it a sociology mm-hmm. class or was it a class on Brazil? I can't remember. Maybe it was. No, it, it was a sociology class, but we might have uh, touched on South America. Uh, but it was sociology like 101 and 102. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I remember that um, it was like the last day of class. And then I like talked with you after class. And then we like made, made a plan or a date or something like that. Yeah. And I remembered you really well in the class because I felt like the teacher really liked you the teacher was like asking you questions and you were super scholarly. Uh You had a lot of answers. And I think we were on the topic of Brazil and you had shared that you had lived there for a while or something. And so you were definitely like a character in the class. You weren't like the guy in the back of the room that was like quiet. I think I ran out on the final even. I I felt like (laughs) it was very dramatic when I was leaving and you stopped me and said, Hey, and I was like, I didn't want to talk to you because I was having a very dramatic day. I think it was emotional. And then just how we ended, are you familiar with the term ghosting? All the new kids, all the young kids use it. (laughs) I guess I invented that shit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you're going to be happy to know that technically you didn't ghost me. And I'm super grateful for that. Yeah, you just like, you just couldn't anymore. And I... Like, looking back, I can see, and I'm sure you have your version, but, like, I was super hormonal. I was trying to figure my shit out. I was totally in love with you, and I wanted to move faster than your evolution could at the time. And (laughs) I can imagine that that was really fucking scary for you. Um, Yeah. And I think it was right before my trip in California. To California, you just kind of were like, yeah, like, I'm just not feeling it. I don't remember exactly what you said, but you were super good at letting me call you and be like, are you sure? Because I'm awesome. Are you you sure you don't want to take that back? So there was a couple more phone calls. I got to say in terms of breakups, it was really good because you didn't do like manipulation. You did a lot. No, Uh actually, I don't. I can't do this with you. And I needed to like hear that consistently to Mm -hmm. feel it in my body. Wow. I just learned something. I I didn't realize that I actually accomplished a good like um like a um even keel like a healthy breakup. Regulate yeah, healthy breakup. I was gonna say regulation. <laughs> no, I I felt I think I felt really bad about it is in part because also I didn't really want that solution. I didn't think that it was a solution, uh-huh. but I was um yeah I was chickening out for for reasons like I didn't really know why um but I felt like it had to do with um my uh yeah health condition I was like really not eating super well or like taking care of myself and so I always just feel really shitty when that's the case you know mm-hmm. and uh through just decades of my life I would try to like you were saying people personalize a breakup well I would personalize my daily baseline of just feeling in poor health. Yeah, the feeling that I had of of uh, low energy 
and kind of dull dull pain gave me so much anxiety because it was um I think it was basically like what they call fibro fog I was just like having unclear thoughts a melancholic mood um mostly because of dietary reasons I I bet uh so would you attribute that to like your relationship? Well, I'm not feeling well and I'm with this person. I think this is the cause. Or was it just like, I don't have the energy to be in relationship? Like, what was it for you? For that person who's yeah. listening, that's like, how does that happen? Yeah, I think this happens a lot to people like um, that um, they don't know uh, what, what they're missing you know, or what they might need. But for me, like I'm, uh, I have arthritis and, um, so literally, um, one of the cures uh, for it is resting at different times and activity at other times. But, um, that rest just kind of imposes itself on me. I just can't, uh, I come, uh, I can't keep the pace of some of the people in my life. For example, my dad has just more energy and less um, restrictions in his movement through life. And so he's always doing different activities during the week. And I can do like an act, I can do one. I'll, mm -hmm. I'll go out once a week, you know? So that's an example of like knowing myself a little better where I think I was even starting to experience this. And, and so there are different periods in my life where I had really um, chronic fatigue. And I'd never, I'd always tried to keep up with others. So I think it could have been partly just some feelings of fatigue caused some depression. Yeah. And cause that person to be like, I just got to go like figure my <clears throat> shit out, you know? And then if my partner is like feeling, you know, that uh, it's hard to imagine a person who looks uh, healthy and strong. It's hard to imagine them yep. without them telling you that they're tired being tired, then you, you might start to think, well, okay, maybe he's not that into me. Um, and then when pressed or when asked about that, if I don't know, maybe I'll, uh, kind of, uh, surrender to the impression and say, okay, well, maybe I'm actually not as interested in the person as they want me to be mm -hmm. like they're thinking. And if, if that's the case, then, then what? Thank you for sharing that, by the way. That's really helpful to my heart. Mm -hmm. Can you tell people a little bit about your diagnosis and like how long it took for you to get someone to help you? Well, yeah, thanks um, for saying before uh, the way that you saw me when uh, we were younger. I mean, it's not the point that uh, that it was so long ago, but the point is that I uh, I used to see, I remember myself being, uh, pretty high energy and pretty engaged and, and thoughtful. And so that's the way I still kind of um, think of myself and see myself. I've been in a PhD program for about eight years now and trying to finish up. But in the course of that time... See, I told um, you guys he was scholarly. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to uh, to fulfill that. Just have had a lot of um, difficulty with my energy level and with completing my work because of kind of intervening symptoms that were uh, a distraction to me that I couldn't really exactly put my finger on. Many years ago, uh, about a decade ago, 
with these symptoms of fatigue or disorientation and uh, insomnia, things like this, the impression that I had or the feedback I got was that I needed you know, therapy to find out about what this could be. I did that for uh, talk therapy, group therapy, and things like this for about a decade, really. And I'm glad that I did. But because I uh, experienced growth and change in other areas of my life, but not really in the sense of how I'm feeling on a day-to-day basis, yeah. I started to look into uh, medical reasons. And I'd never, I'd always avoided uh, doctors more than police, really, for the, re- <laughs> <laughs> for, the, for the reasons we discussed, you know, before. But yeah. um, when I was at Duke and uh, hospital, asking to really be checked out, uh, they were flippant and, and careless. Well, I mean, I hadn't had a primary care physician um, pretty much ever. I went into the Duke Student Health Center hoping to kind of get one uh, or get referred to one, mostly for um, like feeling of pain in my limbs. So the the doctor, within a 10-minute visit, she told me that her opinion was that I'm bipolar. And wow. I was shocked because I know that this person is not a psychiatrist <laughs> and that I hadn't just received a psyche eval. Yep. But she just at a glance listens to the symptoms I've just told you and some basic things like that. And she said um, she didn't believe, I told her that I was using marijuana as a a painkiller, essentially. And she said that she believed I was using it because I am an addict, but not because I was in pain. Like I could have even partly understood where she was coming from if she said, well, I think you're an addict and you're in chronic pain. But she she said, I don't believe that you are in chronic pain before like anyone listening to this sympathetically jumps ahead and says, oh, well, that was a racist. Maybe that was a racist interpretation of your symptoms that if you weren't African-American, Damien, maybe your doctor would have really, truly believed that you were, in fact, in pain. You'd have had permission to be. And I'm not saying that that isn't the case, but. I had a different expectation because this doctor was, in fact, an African-American woman. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, her instructions from Duke or her orientation towards patients uh, or faith, whatever her reasons, she was telling me that she saw this as a psychological issue. So I was very offended and and very afraid, actually. Yeah. And remember, you reached out to me like, you know, someone from your past who'd known you a long time. Do you think this is possible? Am I actually in pain? And it's like, fuck yeah, you're in pain. You were in pain when we were kids. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it started to get really scary for me. This was just a few years ago. Uh, scary for me to realize the medical profession wouldn't wouldn't recognize or wouldn't authorize this pain for some people. And then I realized why I had delayed so long in, in seeking out medical attention. So I'm back to kind of like uh, avoiding doctors and things like that. But I did need to, I had to establish in order to get more time uh, to complete my dissertation, I needed to establish the the veracity of my claim. And so ultimately, uh, after going to different healthcare providers that were not at that institution, when I was in Rochester last summer, 
I was at the University of Rochester Hospital. And there, and also in addition to that, uh, from a, a separately practicing rheumatologist out of U of R, I received the diagnosis that I have uh, osteoarthritis mm -hmm. is a primary underlying condition that probably um, could be explained from childhood injury, a lot of like athletics and dance when I was a kid. And so my joints have some worn cartilage and that, that kind of just quickly generalizes to all the joints. Mm -hmm. But one thing I read is that people who've experienced uh, childhood like abuse, physical abuse, mm -hmm. um, are like 90% of the people who have osteoarthritis at an earlier age. And so I don't really like the, the word, but it's a big fancy word that I learned. So I'll mm -hmm. say it, but it's like, uh, I guess it's comorbid with other kinds of stress, like maybe PTSD and things. So, yeah. And you were, are you saying you were abused when you were a child? So, yeah, I experienced a, abuse as a child and I also received uh, from through therapy, uh, getting a, an overview of my coping, realized that I have PTSD. The fact that I'm about 40 years old now, turning 40 soon, and so I'm thinking about my life in, in stages and thinking about the future, thinking about um, the past, and realizing that so many things in my past, the way I experienced it, the way I understood it, and the things that it has led to, um, I understand that all very differently now. Mm -hmm. factoring in these uh, bodily influences and the lack of access to whatever care, if you will. Yeah, true yeah. care. True care, mm -hmm. right. So now the thought is to like to care now with the resources I have available. You have such an incredible life, Damien, and you've touched on so many things, not just love, but your upbringing, um, your experience as a man of color and even like the medical mystery that for so many years was debilitating to you and I'm sure still is, is it helpful to have the label and the validation that yes, you are not crazy. This is really happening in your body. Yeah. I suppose it's important to be able to have um, objectivity about why I'm experiencing the discomfort, it does help in, in that way. I don't know that there's a lot of social, there's not really a lot of social acceptance, like um, not just doctors, but, you know, family members and, and friends, like uh, are among those people who can't imagine or can't accept or don't believe uh, or, or maybe even find it painful, too painful to believe or something that I'm in a, a lot of pain, like geriatric style pain. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, um, Chronic illnesses like that, it can be really isolating because people don't get it. They don't understand. They You seem like you're okay. You know, why don't you want to come to do this thing? Or So what kind of support do you need? Like, is it helpful when people, you know, understand that you might change plans? Or like, what sort of support do you need in, in your health? Hey, that's a really good question. That's a good point. Yeah, understanding is awesome. It's great. That definitely feels like a, a, a kind of freedom. I think in general, the answer 
to pretty much everything is to, I guess, <laughs> just try to open my heart and uh, understand it and accept it. So if I do that, then I find I can choose to or I can manage to overcome the barriers my illness presents to me. But I also understand those barriers as like being there for a reason. It saves me mm-hmm. for something different to not be able to go and do all the things that I want. So I try to just stay open for knowledge of God's will. I don't really pray for it to be like removed. Because I hear I- you saying you like who you are and that your life experience and even the physical experience that you have adds to that or, or is the mosaic of you. Thanks. Thanks. I hope that that comes through. <laughs> I have to work on it. <laughs> well, I think it's a daily practice for all of us. I want to say one more very dramatic thing because I think it'll oh, wow. make for good podcast. <laughs> good <show you> <laughs> yeah. If, if only all of our relationships were conducted in this way. Yes. <laughs> it would be a much dreamier world. You wrote me these beautiful songs or two songs on an album that you put out that were um, about our relationship and they were just so meaningful for me. And after our breakup, you know, when you lose somebody and it doesn't make sense to you, because in my mind, I was just like, oh, like, we'll figure everything out together. And you were like, no, like, I need to figure myself out. Listening to the songs that I had, and they're beautiful, beautiful songs, uh, was so healing to my heart because it helped me understand that there was a time when you felt those things for me and that it was real at that time. And I think mm-hmm. that's a, a challenge when you're going through a breakup or you're moving on where it's like, was this real? Like, did this person even mean this? Because we go into this angry place or pain place or sad place. And I think even with some of the most like intense love charlatans out there <laughs> like mm-hmm. when they're saying it at the time they mean it you know they really mean unless you know you've got someone really evil and so to listen to those songs was really powerful for me because it helped me to be able to hold that as true in my heart and just that this wasn't our lifetime together this wasn't our time to do that mm-hmm. i thank you for that which again there's all these pieces like you touch in someone's life and you don't know the meaning it's going to have for them But there is one heart-stabbing moment when, and I don't recommend this to any listeners out there, I went to one of your open mic concerts after our breakup. Don't do this. If you're listening out there, don't ever do this. (laughs) (laughs) I was feeling real good about myself. Like I'd healed my heart. I was feeling strong. I was like, I am ready to do this. And you sang one of those songs. And I don't know if you remember this at the time, Damien, but like, all these older white women were just throwing themselves at you when we were dating. Like it was insane. Like all the shit. It was like, I felt like I needed, you needed a bodyguard to like (laughs) protect you. (laughs) And there was this older woman sitting next to me. And of course, like I'm crying. I'm like, Oh my God. And I knew like, maybe, maybe I'll hear one of these songs, but you know, it'll be okay. And I'm like crying. It's really emotional. And this older woman who's like, totally gaga over you like oh my god she looks at me she turns to me and says god don't you just wish that song was for you oh no well I didn't say goodbye to you at that open mic (laughs) because when she said that to me it was like oh my god and I like got up and left and I think that might have been the last time I saw you can um, I put that in a story or something? <laughs> I'm joking. I mean, it's... that's really like very poignant. Wow. 
That sounds really awkward. <laughs> it was so painful. painful. Yeah, it was That's so painful. Messed up. It was like, and what if the song is for you, but it's not anymore? You know, but I couldn't <clears> get those words out, but I wanted to say something like that. To that's her. crazy. But I just yeah, like, that's a crazy question. There's no such thing as that, though. <laughs> know that people get their heart broken because, you know, the the work that I do. I've been married twice. People don't really think I get my heart broken. You know, they really think like, oh, you know, you just marriage is galore. Mm. You just keep moving up I the see. ladder. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like mm-hmm. fucking everybody goes through this. Like everybody yeah. does that heartache even if you're the one that's leaving sometimes it's like that. i've left people and i've been like god this totally. is terrible yeah yeah exactly for sure All right, buddy. i guess it takes courage to feel yeah like bjork has the answer it takes courage to enjoy it and i think that's one thing that's really cool to be able to talk with you and have the past be something that is available to discuss and it's available to feel in its different um, vibrations or what have you. But I think like it's uh, like a gift to ourselves to feel, you know, for other people, for someone else, you know. Absolutely. So like, so like that's the, the gift of whatever uh, impression for whatever foolishness we get into with our feelings. I think that's um, it's our own... Um, inner world yes our inner landscape yeah yeah exactly and you know when you in one of the messages you wrote me you said something about how i was very good to you or generous or something like when we were together yeah and my partner says that to me all the time and it was it had so much meaning when you messaged that to me because i thought oh my god i'm still that person i still have a heart that has been mm-hmm. broken and smashed, but like, mm-hmm. and that's my message is like, just don't close your heart down. I mean, you might have to for a while. I just don't think you can fortify your heart into like an armored world. Do you have mm-hmm. thoughts on True. that? On keeping your heart open? Yeah, that's just accepting what is in it, and like that could be nothing. Um, and then just allowing that to be grazed by the glance of a, a stranger on the street or a friend, like not um, presuming to know ourselves, but to be opening to discover it is what I kind of feel that means. Awesome. All right, buddy. Thank you so much for the talk. Is there anything you want them to know or add? Well, I just think you must have really um, very blessed listeners because I think this is a really thoughtful gift and so i'm really grateful to know about it i'm honored and grateful to have been invited to participate too so yeah just thanks again to you yeah you're an amazing person ditto thanks for for being brave it's kind of weird when your ex-girlfriend's like do you want to get on the phone with me and talk about how you broke my heart like in front of as many people as possible (laughs) i don't know a lot of people that would have said yes so (laughs) yeah i trust i trusted you but um (laughs) but i think that yeah i I think i would have found it easier to invite someone else to do that um but then i remembered that i i have been recording people asking for permission to record others so i should uh, i should oblige you (laughs) <laughs> and um, let's keep in touch 
Okay, sounds great. All right, bye, Have sweetie. Have a good day. You too. Thanks bye. again. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. I hope our story touched your heart. Are you wanting to reach out to an old flame to get closure? Is there someone still on your mind? Take some time to write down some thoughts and feelings about your loss around love. After you write this, step back and sense into your body. Is it important for you to actually reach out to this person? Or did you just need to write it down so you're not still carrying it in your body? Blessings to you. This has been a Lotus Lantern production. All rights reserved.